Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, the host of the Chronicles. I'm also Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council for our Australia and New Zealand region. And I welcome you to episode 59 on the Chronicles, uh, getting closer, inching towards number 60. Uh, and this episode is one of our um, new series discussions known as The Week in Data. And joining me this week, uh, I have on the line Andrea Di Giovanni from Neighbourlytics. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us on The Chronicles. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, Andrea, uh, we'll get into sort of your recent move from the US to Australia in a moment. But before we get into that, would you mind giving our listeners who are scattered all over the world uh, a bit of an insight into who you are and what do you do? Absolutely. Um, I am the strategic projects lead for Neighborlytics. Um, at Neighborlytics, we are a company that creates data and insights to help um, organizations, councils, um, any type of, of government or clients really, um, to understand how places are performing, um, particularly how well those places are performing um, in, in terms of supporting the conditions necessary for well-being. Um, and that is indeed when and where and what you and I first uh, met each other around in terms of a topic which was um, social well-being and the role that technology and data and smart cities played in that. And that was that was when you were based in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago. Um, so you're, you're a recent... Uh, you're a recent sort of um, uh, friend and resident of Australia based in Melbourne. How has the transition gone? How's, how's Melbourne treating you? Uh, Melbourne's treating me well, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm three weeks in to, to living here now, um, and it's been a good move so far. I'm very excited to be here in Australia. I've been traveling back and forth for the last six or so months, but now I'm really here for good, and I'm very excited about that. Well, we're excited in under the under the COVID nineteen wire. Wow, yeah, <laughs> you, you just snuck in, didn't you? It's did. um, it's interesting times, and it's great to have you here. Um, you, you, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to sort of um, get used to those sort of um, sort of quirky and, and nuanced um, descriptions of certain things. So, you know, municipality, local council, you know, things like that. So uh, I'm sure you're gonna have fun with some of those adjustments. Yes, I'm, I'm working on a whole new vocabulary, my Australian vocabulary. <laughs> we'll Australianize you, that's for sure. So, okay, Andrea, so this is the week in data, um, no structure. Let's see how it goes. Uh, I'm gonna kick off with asking you a question. Is there anything interesting that you have seen, read, or heard about data this week? Um, well, last weekend I was at um, Golden Plains, my my first um, first time there, um, first uh, adventure outside of Melbourne as a resident here, and um, oh, that I, was the that was the music festival, the music festival in Victoria. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, at, while at this music festival, I just happened to be there with several people who work um, in the local government space, and then some people who don't, who, who work in completely different industries. And 
you know, even at Golden Plains, we got into a, a great discussion about data and data privacy <laughs> and, and how strongly different people in the group felt about um, their data being collected, you know, by, by private companies and who's using their data and whether or not they care if their data is being used. So um, I think, you know, no matter where you are, um, this, is, this is something that we're all talking about and that we're all thinking about. Um, Lately, and then actually, uh, having just had that conversation, I was uh, reading an article that came out uh, yesterday or the day before in, on uh, Vice um, about uh, Clearview AI and um, them just looking into what type of data are they really collecting on on people in terms of their facial identification software and where is it coming from. Um, so always, always lots of exciting things happening every week in data. Uh, Andrea the the work that you guys do at Nabalytics and indeed prior to your uh, move to Australia uh, you were working in private sector based out of DC um, you know your work your work has um, relied on uh, the availability of data so that you can do analytics on behalf of your uh, clients um, social media data, uh, which is sort of data, you know, willingly sort of put out there into the public domain by users, um, you know, has been at the center of, of the work that you've done. Um, you know, has there been, uh, and is there any, um, easing of the concern increase of the concern what is if you if, if you to take a temperature test now in terms of social media data uh which is very powerful and uh, well i would imagine you know un, unvetted data uh so it's, it's it's raw you know it's it's raw emotion it's raw expression um we we put it out there as as users of social media what, what what's the latest when it comes to social media being a source of tapping into insights in our communities and neighborhoods? Um, well, I think that um, increasingly there's a conversation that's growing. Um, and I think it's a really important conversation to have. I think the, the more we talk about it and the more we talk about what really is being collected, what's really being used, um, the more transparent we are in that, um, you know, the, the better for all of us. And, um, you know, at Neighborlytics, we're very conscious of what types of data we're using, um, the provenance of that data, um, what, what information might be associated or extrapolated from that data, um, and all of the data that we use, which is both social and other types of digital data, is anonymized and aggregated before we ever even take possession of it. And we do that very intentionally um, to, to ensure that we aren't um, sort of riding that line, um, veering off into, into privacy concerns or, um, you know, when you think about GDPR, we don't have per any personally identifiable information on people. We, we can't tie the data that we have to any individual. Um, and I think that also makes it data that's um, more accessible or more usable for local governments who are, who are increasingly asking, I think, the right questions about data and data privacy and what data can and should they be using. Um, I was actually having a conversation with a group um, in the States that's getting ready to work on a project 
that's looking at well-being, um, and they're going to be using a, a variety of data sources, and social media is one of their, those data sources, and one of the things that they were talking with me about was how do we, um, you know, make sure that we're engaging the local population and making them aware of what we're doing and ensuring that they understand what types of data we're going to be using and how we're going to be using it and how long we're going to be using it. So really ensuring that transparency. And um, in my experience, the most successful programs are the programs who also think about that. They're not just thinking about what they can learn from the data, what, what they can get what they can extract from the data, but they're also thinking about what the larger implications are of using that data and how to um, maintain that transparency with the public so that they understand, you know, who, who's using their data and, and why. We, um, when I say we, uh, a consortium of um, the Smart Cities Council and a number of our members, uh, including yourselves, um, you know, spent the good part of, you know, early 2019 um, working up a framework and, and an approach of, uh, of sort of smart cities and social well-being. Um, just from a time perspective and, and narrative, is there, uh, is there a particular issue uh, or topic that you feel has has really advanced um, since, say, you know, this time last year uh, around this uh, this issue of sort of privacy and social media data or other digital crowdsourced data. Is there a particular topic or issue that um, has been uh, of sort of top of mind of the community or that you've observed? Well, I think certainly more people, more ordinary people just going through their everyday lives are, are starting to think about the data that they create and asking questions, asking good questions about what happens to that data and what's being done with it and how much agency do they have over that data once, once it's been created and you know, whoever it is um, you know, has, now has that data on them and what might they be able to, to do with it? You know, can they sell it? Um, who might they be selling it to, um, all those kinds of things. So I think just more general awareness, you know, there's sometimes so many, so many of these great technology things that we, I think, kind of have taken for granted. And, and as they come out, they're really exciting and we want to use them um, and, and get involved with them. And we hadn't really, we've been so caught up in, you know, the excitement of, you know, this cool new technology, um, that we hadn't really been thinking about it from the perspective of what happens to my, you know, pictures after I post them, my, um, you know, microblog after I tweet, my, um, you know, my location data um, after I download this app and start using it, um, my, you know, my data about what types of things I'm searching for on the internet or what types of things I, I buy from Amazon. Um, and I think increasingly people are starting to be more aware um, and ask good questions. And it's as we start to ask these questions, I think that we get closer to um, in sort of being able to um, have a better framework in place to hold all of these entities accountable or to understand um, and, and have more control over how our data is being collected and how it's being used. So the, the, the private sector 
in particular large technology companies um those those platform companies they obviously understand the value of data okay um talk to me about government valuing data and and let's stick with local governments sort of our core audience there cities Mm -hmm. uh, municipalities if i can call them that um what do, what are your sort of observations and, and i mean you've been in this space for a while now do cities value data i think they're coming to value it more um but i think you know there are a lot of barriers for for entry for uh, particularly for local governments um that aren't there for the private sector in a lot of ways you know i think um it, when i when i have people ask me a for, for example, about privacy concerns, uh, very often people are quite concerned about, you know, what's the local government going to do with my data? Um, I think if you think about it in terms of agency, like we have a lot more control in a relatively free society over what the government, including the local government, may or may not be able to do with the, our data and how they have to treat it and what they have to tell us about what they're what they're doing with it and much actually less control over what private companies who are creating data on us and, and collecting that data might be doing with it and less visibility into that. Um, I think local governments are, are very conscious of that and they're, and they're also very aware that they, that they are accountable and they want to be accountable. They want to have that transparency. They want to have the mechanisms in place um, to be able to use that data in an ethical way. Um, but I think a lot of times they don't know where to start um, you know, there's so much data out there. There's so much data being created every minute of every day. And I think, especially for local governments, it can be quite overwhelming to start to ask the right questions. You know, what data sets are going to be useful to me? You know, what am I going to need to really um, be able to extract value from those data sets? How do I need to handle them? How do I need to store them? How do I interrogate that data to be able to um, really get the most out of it? What are the costs associated with it? Um, you know, what are the privacy concerns? What are the governance mechanisms I need to put in place? With, um, with our Launch Cities program that we're working on right now at Neighborlytics, working with cities uh, to be able to measure what we call social prosperity. Those are well-being analytics. Um, a lot of the councils that we talk to, one of the first steps that, that they go through when they decide they want to um, participate in this program, uh, many of them, it's a, um, a catalyst for them to start thinking about and creating a, a data governance strategy because that's not something that they've really um, had the necessity to do or had the opportunity to do um, and to really have resources um, that they can can go to and, and access to get some best practices in place um things like the smart cities council you know i i think it's it's um still uh, a hurdle just to kind of jump into the data space for local government in a lot of ways yeah and that's uh that's certainly a recurring theme that we're starting to hear through the interviews that we're doing um on the week in data series just um just on our current, uh, on our current, on the current uh, pandemic, which is now COVID-19, the coronavirus, um, in the office here where I'm based in Brisbane, 
I sublease here off a, another company. They've got up on their wall of many dashboards uh, that they're in, in, in the sort of the IT space. Uh, one of the, one of the screens is, um, is, is showing uh, in real time all the time here, you know, that, um, that, that, that map of the world, I think it's from the CDC or, or someone there of, of all the hotspots of the coronavirus outbreaks, uh, number of cases, number of deaths and, you know, ranking by, uh, by, by the number uh, down on each side of the dashboard is um, uh, my question is um, as sort of a, a, a if I can call you a data enthusiast, I'm, I know you're more than an enthusiast, um, but, but being in the world of data, um, what you're seeing at the moment with the coronavirus, is this kind of like a data enthusiasts sort of dream, you know, we're, we're seeing sort of the mainstreaming of, of insights around this particular occurrence. What, what, what sort of, how do you sort of view uh, this current event that's happening and, and the role that data is playing? Cause it seems as though it, it's absolutely at the heart of the decisions being made by government and, and uh, other non-government stakeholders. Are, are you sort of interpreting the same? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, while, you know, this is a, a situation that's I think very much um, frightening for a lot of people and, and stressful and, and certainly, um, no one uh, is, is uh, looking forward to a pandemic to test data or no, um, but I think it is um, a situation where we're seeing how much better we're positioned to understand something like a pandemic um, and how, how um, the virus is spreading and where it's spreading to um, because so much more data is being created. I think about a project in the U.S. several years ago where um, they were using social media to track the um, spread of the, um, the regular seasonal flu, um, but how much more fidelity um, that health organizations were really able to get on how the virus was moving through the local population and things like incubation periods and how long people were staying sick and where they were potentially coming into contact with with um with the virus and so i think you know it, it, you extrapolate that that out onto a global level that um there's a lot um a lot of power in this data to really help all these organizations the world health organization and and local health organizations understand and hopefully then um combat the spread of this virus more effectively because they have a lot more data resources at their disposal and different types of, of data resources non-traditional data resources that i think can be very powerful um when when they're able to leverage those in combination with the with the types of data that they've traditionally collected and used do you think we, you know, when we come out of this at the other end, I don't know when that will be, will there be a new appreciation of data and insights and the value of it, do you think? I hope so. And I, and I hope they take this as an opportunity to really explore and maybe, you know, in some ways um, codify some, some new frameworks or new approaches for being able to have earlier interventions based on you know models they'll be able to create from from looking at the data that that's um, being generated now in the midst of this um, 
hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll enable us to get out in front of the next pandemic because there's so much more data for them to continue to um, explore and build models based on and, and analyze. Okay, um, we're going to be hearing in other parts of our lives uh, more and more about the coronavirus, uh, no doubt in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but, but sort of shifting gears now and, and transitioning away from the virus for a moment, anything else exciting you at the moment that you've seen, read or heard around anything data? Well, um, I, I think uh, the statements that were made by the treasurer um, uh, uh, here in Australia, I think he's the treasurer. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give you a leave pass on that one in terms of knowing exactly who all our politicians are. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I am 99% positive he's the treasurer um, <laughs> about, about well-being and um, setting a well-being budget here in Australia and mm. how that's you know, not something that he thinks is, is really worth doing. Um, the amount of feedback and engagement I've had from from different people in, in, in both government and in the private sector um, who feel very passionately the other way, <laughs> that, uh, that well-being data is absolutely something that governments of all levels should be looking at and can be leveraging to design better public policy and to apply budgetary resources much more effectively. Um, that is not a, it's not a waste of money, that, it, that it's a way to really guide um, resources in a more powerful way to affect positive outcomes has really been exciting to me, just the sort of the amount of feedback of people saying, well, we actually really think this is an amazing thing and we wanna keep, keep moving towards that. And I think there is a, a huge um, movement that's continuing to build of um, you know, government and organizations at, at all levels who feel a responsibility to use data in a way that's gonna create positive improvement in the lives of the people in their communities. So um, I think that's, that's been pretty exciting, especially in the wake of, of some comments that were um, a bit jarring to hear someone say, ah, that well-being stuff is kind of a lot of junk. You know, we don't need that. <laughs> Well, I, I was in fact in uh, New Zealand last week, the beginning of the first half of last week in Hamilton, um, and we were uh, we were we were running a a mini conference, a day conference on smart cities, uh, with a particular focus around the role of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, uh, and there was dialogue around the localization of those those international goals uh, for the Waikato region. Uh, and the topic, um, uh, the topic came up around well-being. Uh, A, because, um, of course, New Zealand has, I think, what's been identified as one of the first well-being budgets in the world. So a national budget focused around well-being. Um, but also, it seems as though there's been trickle down from that national commitment and, and national narrative around, around well-being, uh, it's trickled down to a sort of a, a local council level whereby um, they have to sort of interpret that, localise that, report back on that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't think of anything better than, you know, the idea of a well-being budget, but 
of course, it only really kind of makes sense or makes a difference, I suppose, if we have good metrics and we gather the data and we report on the insights and results of that, I would imagine. So, um, so yes, very exciting, but um, and unless you're a data-driven or insights-led organisation, it, it kind of won't make a difference, will it? Well, I think that I think that's very true, and perhaps that's sort of the source of the comments that the treasurer made was that he didn't understand how you connect something that I think uh, often is thought of as um, very um, intangible and um, squishy, for lack of a better yes, word. Yes. How, you, how you tie that to to something real? How you tie that to policy and governance? How you tie that to budget? And the way to do that is through measurement, through through being able to quantitatively measure um, something like well-being. And the science is there. Um, it's been building for 30 years. We have um, really are in no better position <laughs> than we are now um, it, to be able to really have meaningful metrics around that um, that are persistent um, and at a population level that that can then drive better better governance decisions better policy and planning better future for um, you know all of us um, within our communities and within communities around the world but absolutely um, if we're not doing that on a foundation of of real of data something real data um, of measurement um, then, then it's no use. You know, we can have all these aspirational goals around well-being, but we're never going to get there if we can't identify really um, what areas to target, where the opportunities to improve quality of life in different dimensions are, what the levers available to us are, and we can't do that without the data. Your your comment there around, um, you know, that we've never been in a better position. Uh, around the availability and access to data that that gives us glimpses into sort of social well-being um i i, I totally agree do you uh, do you ever wonder you know do you sort of wind back the clock to when you started you know your your career in data that we would we would get to a place where you know we, we we've got such powerful uh insights now into what people think and how they feel and what they think about their quality of life? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think yeah. you know, when I, when I was first starting in this space, you know, look, looking at this data, I think there was a, a, certainly a tremendous amount of skepticism of whether or not the data that was being created was really going to be useful or meaningful and how much does it really tell us about um, people's um, emotional state of mind, about their um, their intent, their behaviors, how representative really is this data going to be, you know, it's only millennials are online. So, you know, we're only getting a fraction of the population. And, you know, uh, over the last, you know, 10 or so years, I think that understanding has really evolved and we've realized how representative it is, you know, and this is one of those things Whenever people ask me about, you know, these, these types of data. Well, you know, it's not going to capture everyone. That is absolutely true. If you can think of a data source that captures everyone, please share it with me because mm. I would love to be able to use yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact is that there is no perfect data source. There is no data source that 
captures everyone that that is going to give us everything that we need to know that is perfect um you know that is complete that it it just doesn't exist but that's that's why having this wealth of different types of data um, that are available to us is so powerful because it's in the aggregate it's in leveraging all these different types of data all these different sources that are that are available to us now that we create really the perfect um, data environment rather than the perfect data set to to understand our world and be able to make better decisions um, going forward so so that's why I say like we're not we've never been in a better position before and it's because of that that collective rather than you know that we've identified this single um, solution and I and I think that skepticism from early on it's always good to ask questions and to be and to be skeptical um, but I think you know, as as the industry has grown and as we've continued to um, explore and test and, and understand more about what this data really means, um, we've been able to largely leave a lot of a lot of that behind. Maybe our last question, Andrea, um, is a little bit fr from me to you looking forward. Um, I, I, I mean, it, it's such a sort of a a, a, a rich, exciting data environment uh, now. Do you ever, do you ever sort of put the the looking glasses on and go, you know, wow, I, I wonder what it's going to be like in sort of six months, twelve months, twenty four months? Do you ever, do you ever think about like how can it get better? I mean, it can, I mean, it can always get better, but is is there a is there a, another big shift coming up? Is there another big source that we haven't even tapped into? What's your views on kind of what's coming? Well, I think that there are going to be certainly more data sources. I mean, you know, the um, evolution of technology is so unbelievably rapid. I'm sure there's there's new devices, new things that are that are being dreamed of or haven't even been dreamt of yet that may come into the marketplace in the next six to 12 months that um, will prove to, you know, to generate a lot of really um, amazing and helpful data. I think that increasingly um, biometric data, it is becoming more and more important, more and more prevalent, what that's going to shape up to be and how that's going to influence things. Um, I think, you know, is something that we're all going to be watching um, and hopefully shaping as well. I think, you know, really the biggest changes in the next six to 12 months that I'm anticipating and that I think are coming and I hope end up being <laughs> in a direction, in a positive direction are really, you know, back to this data privacy and, and, and having more um, control and more mechanisms in place for us to all, um, have agency over our data and understand where it's going and how it's being used um, and and to really have more transparency um, as well and you know I think that's something that we're moving in that direction uh, it's something that's difficult though because there's a lot of um, a lot of that in the private sector where um, the mech the the companies who really have the controlling interests, the, like Google and Amazon and Facebook and Twitter, they're not as incentivized, I think, to be as transparent. Um, but I'm hopeful that, um, you know, with the, the way the popular um, 
tide is moving that 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 incentive will grow and and uh, we'll get to a place where um, we can all feel empowered um, to own and and um, sort of govern our own our own data destiny for lack of a better word. Well, I think there's uh, there's many listeners uh, listening in right now. Um, uh, joining you uh, on that um, on that sort of uh, sort of hope, and um, it'll be interesting to to sort of see what does play out, and and maybe uh, in six months' time we, we we circle back and and do another week in data, and who knows what we're going to be talking about then. Um, but for the moment, uh, Andrea, uh, we need to we need to bring it to a close there. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for the week in data. Uh, and and appreciate the time that you've um, that you've uh, you've dedicated to uh, our conversation today. So thank you once again for joining the Smart Cities Chronicles. Thank you, Adam. And for our listeners that aren't subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so on your uh, favourite uh, podcast platform wherever you listen in out there. Uh, if you'd like to send us a, a note, uh, we love to get feedback. You can email us at. Uh, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. You can head to the website, smartcitieschronicles.com, to listen to the podcasts uh, and connect with us further. Uh, this has been another episode of our Week in Data series as part of the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast. My name is Adam Beck, the host of the Smart Cities Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>